December 10th, 2020. I'm Avi. And I'm Ron. And this is Accent Insights. Welcome back. We've had a little bit of a hiatus in our recording. We've been so busy, uh, but we're excited to be back with you. And we have a few things to talk about this week. We're going to talk about some new listings. Uh, There's a new one that just came on actually in my neighborhood, uh, 88 Coolidge Street, Unit 2. A beautiful new renovation, uh, 2,300 square foot condo. Yeah, yeah. And you say your neighborhood, Avi, that's, let's full disclosure, it's your new neighborhood, right? It's the neighborhood you're moving to, and you're in the midst of uh, a fairly involved renovation. And I think we, we discussed before the recording that that probably warrants a recording of its own, because it's what I did when I bought my place, and it's what you're doing now. And, and there are a lot of good things to say about doing that and a lot of things to consider. But uh, yeah, Coolidge Street is a great block, as you know, as, as you put your money where your mouth is. And this, is, this seems to be a lovely home, 2,300 square feet, uh, roughly four bedrooms, two full baths. This is the second and third floor of a two-family house. Um, and it looks like they've done a beautiful job. It seems to meet the standard of the new renovations. Um, and, you know, they've made some interesting choices in the layouts that I think we more in a little discussion. Absolutely. It's an interesting layout and there's a lot going for it. I mean, this has the elusive fourth bedroom, which first of all is great. And this time, uh, you know, everyone wants the three bedrooms plus an additional space and this has it. So in the main level, it's got large bedroom, dining room, foyer, living room, kitchen, one bathroom, uh, and two decks. And then the upper floor, that third floor, has the three bedrooms and one bathroom. First of all, everything looks gorgeous in the pictures, and I'm excited to see it. But it was interesting, on that third floor, they didn't add a master bathroom, which is a choice, an interesting choice for a new renovation. It is. And it is, it's, you can look on the floor plan and see very clearly where they could have done it. And, and frankly, they probably should have done it. The master bedroom there is 20 by 16, which is enormous. And if the pictures show, you know, the big soaring ceilings because they vaulted everything, beautiful, beautiful. Where is that master bathroom? You know, it's it's clear that, you know, this is where the family's going to live. And it's it's great set up for a nice size family. And it just that is something that's sort of glaringly uh, missing. Yeah. And for someone that's going to spend 1.675, that's the list price, by the way. If you're in that range, you're probably not thinking, okay, I'm going to buy a newly renovated place but then immediately embark on a project to add a bathroom. Right, right. There are people who do it, but but it is a, it is a fully loaded price. We're talking about $730 a square foot uh, asking price, which is sort of the, the price for a new renovation of this size. So, you know, it is, there might be some roof line issues happening here, but it's such a big master bedroom. They really should have made that work. Downstairs, there's also a little bit of wasted space uh, on the main floor. Wasted space is a luxury, so it's it's nice. It makes a house feel big and luxurious, is a, if I to, to use the same word again. Um, the, that bedroom that's there is also a very generous size. It's 16 almost by, by 12 and a half feet. Um, that could be a, a lovely guest room office. It could be a, a bedroom for someone that's right next to the bathroom. So... Uh, well, another choice they've made here, which some people like and some people don't like, is the kitchen is not open to um, to the next room, which they're calling the living room. The, the room that backs up against the kitchen here is, is what they're calling the living room. Under other circumstances, you might call that a dining room. You might see sort of a pass-through between those two rooms. Here, the kitchen is, is separate, and it's its own room. Uh, it is not an open floor plan, which some people really like that because they don't want their guests 
seeing the mess in the kitchen. They want the you know guests in one space and the mess in the other space. So that's what you're getting here. Absolutely. But if you're interested in this one, this is really a great location. One block to, to Harvard Street and, and all the shops there are right at the end of the street there. One block away is the butchery and um, you know all the shops around there and JFK Crossing. Uh, so it would be a good one to watch uh, and see how it fares. Uh, you know, we're already going into mid-December here, so it'll be interesting to watch over the winter. Yeah, you know these people were were trying desperately to get this on the market, you know, two months ago. Um, it would have been better for them for sure. Um, it is, as you say, elusive. That fourth bedroom is something that people really want, so they might be okay. There might be people who just didn't find what they wanted you know, in the regular fall market and we're waiting for this kind of thing. The location is outstanding. We are hoping desperately that that we're going to move into a year where, you know, being in Coolidge Corner is, is actually enjoyable to be around other people and you can really get the benefits of, of all it has to offer. And so you, you really can't beat the location. Yeah. yeah. So if you're interested in this, um, give us a call. Oh, the other thing that's elusive about this one that everyone always wants is the private entrance, um, that it has your own door. Right. That's true. You don't, you're not sharing a door and then going into your own space. It does have its own door and it has a, it has a lovely deck, uh, 27 by eight deck across the front of the house, which is great outdoor space. I guess it should be noted as well that, uh, there's not much backyard or, or any backyard. It's done. Yeah. It's all, it's all paved. Yeah. It's, it's parking in the back. Right. Right. So you do have, uh, you know, look the second, third floor units, Sometimes people don't make it down to the to the yard anyway if there is one. But here, you know, even if you were so inclined, there's no yard to get down to. But you do have a lovely deck, a front deck, and and then you have a smaller back deck as well um, that's off the kitchen. So so maybe the front deck is for people watching, relaxing, reading. Maybe the back deck is for for grilling. You're right. It is a generous deck in the back. Maybe one is where you put your kids when they need some air, and one is where you go when <laughs> you need some space from everyone else. Lots of. Uh, Lots of options there. Why don't we switch gears a little bit? Um, we were we were talking earlier before we started recording about about some work we've been doing out west. I had some clients last year who I helped buy a um, country home in the Berkshires, and Avi has been doing some business out there. And we've been sort of talking about that things are a little bit different out there. The the, the practices are different in in ways that uh, if you if you're used to working out here and if you've bought real estate, you know, in the greater Boston area. Uh, you might be a little surprised. Absolutely. And we should mention, you know, we have roots out there. Um, uh, you know, we've been doing business out there. So my grandfather w- was once president of the board of realtors out there and, and was the founder of uh, Is Good Realty in the Berkshires. And and our firm is actually a member of the Berkshire Board of Realtors uh, as well. So if you have any questions about the Berkshires, you should feel free to reach out to us, especially, you know, the South County, you know, area around Tanglewood and uh, Lennox, Lee, Stockbridge, that area. Right, and uh, you know this. This is the time people people have definitely been looking uh, out there more <laughs> as people look for more space and uh, if they have the wherewithal to, to to find that country home. But uh, why don't we talk a little bit about you know just what to expect if if someone does want to buy a piece of property out there? You know, let's let's talk about the initial the initial contract. I mean, we we here you know as as we've talked about often on the podcast. We make that initial offer. We put $1,000 down. It's a two-page form that lays out the basics um, and, and says, you know, within some short time frame, there'll be, if there's an inspection, it'll be within that time frame. But then we'll go to sort of the real contract. So there's the little contract with the little deposit and the, the real purchase and sale agreement with the big deposit, which is traditionally 5%. What, you know, what happens on the Berkshires? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. They don't do the two-step process. They do one step. They go straight to purchase and sale. The purchase and sale agreement is the offer. So you know, here in the rest of the state, we have the attorneys write the purchase and sale and uh, send it to the the seller's attorney, drafts it, sends it to the buyer's attorney. In the Berkshires, uh, what we do is uh, there's a standard purchase and sale and you sort of fill it in ad lib style and send that as your offer. And it's six pages. Uh, so that's difference number one between the Berkshires and the rest of the state. And there's there's a bunch of others too. So at least in this area, typical deposits, you might do $1,000 with the first step and then uh, up to 5% with the purchase and sale. Out there, even though it's only one step contract, you still do two separate deposits. You do typically $1,000 with your offer, which is the purchase and sale. And then it varies quite a bit. It could be $4,000. It could be 5%. Uh, it's very situational. Uh, a lot of the, the borrowers there might be taking out a VA loan or a USDA loan, which higher financing. So it's not atypical to see a lower deposit on the second deposit. And there's some interesting differences on the contingencies. Um, so, you know, we have a mortgage contingency in this part of the, the state and in the Berkshires, we also have a mortgage contingency. But here around Boston, Brookline, the rest of the state, you'd say it's contingent on me getting a loan for this amount uh, by such and such date. There, they also say at such and such rate. So if you don't get the rate that you're expecting, that could be a reason to terminate the transaction. Right. Now, I mean, our, our standard form says, you know, at the prevailing rate. Um, which means you know nothing exotic, and, uh, and what's interesting about that is that you know we talked about this a lot. Those contingencies are, are risk shifting mechanisms. When you have a contingency, it puts the risk from the buyer onto the seller, and you know what happens with the one that, that, that you just mentioned, Avi, it's just it's just another risk that the seller has to take. If I say, well, I'll buy your place if I get a mortgage for eighty percent, and if that mortgage rate is four percent, it's just one more thing that can go wrong. For the buyer that would let them out of the contract, you know, without any consequence, and it, it just puts more risk on the seller. So, you know, if you if you're in a competitive situation out there, I guess you know it could be the first thing you waive. If you're in a buyer-friendly situation, it's one more thing you can do, you know, to protect yourself. You can say, "Well, I buy it if I can get a great rate," and if the seller doesn't have any offers, maybe they'll say, "Okay, fine." Um, but if you're if you're in a competitive situation, you can tell the seller, you know, I'll buy it at, at you know anything that's sort of like a market rate. That's fine. And then you've sort of taken a step toward alleviating the the anxiety that the seller might have. Um, and that it also goes to the you know, you know what we say, whichever market you're in, it's good to have your pre approval and the loan officer from that local market, uh, so that the seller is comfortable with what you're doing too. So especially when when we're making offers in the Berkshires, you probably want your pre-approval from a, a local Berkshire bank. And when you're um, making offers here in the Boston area, you know, we certainly have a different list of recommendations that we make. Right, right. I, I don't want to gloss over it because you mentioned, you know, the, the one contract situation versus the two contract situation that we do here in Greater Boston. Um, and they do one contract in New York City also, which which is hellish when that when that market is competitive as it has not been in the last couple of years. It's really awful because what happens is the beauty of our system here is the little contract is very simple. It sets out just the very basic terms. How much am I going to pay? When are we going to close? Is there a mortgage? Is there an inspection? You know, is there anything else? And done. It's very simple. We put it together quickly. And you know, with your thousand dollars, what you've done as a buyer is you have bound the seller that they're not they're not going to anyone else as long as you can negotiate sort of a standard purchase and sale. You know, there are different things that can go into a standard purchase and sale agreement and it still be considered standard, but you get the time to do that. You get the time to work that out without having the seller sort of ginning up other offers. 
when you have a one contract system, if there's anything in that purchase and sale that needs to be negotiated, until it gets signed, there's no contract. So, you know, whereas here, we worry about when we represent buyers, it's great when we represent sellers, when we represent buyers, you put in an offer and the seller comes back and says, I got, you know, five offers, give me your best and final. In a one contract situation, a seller can can take your offer, which is in this case, the purchase and sale, they can be negotiating with you elements of that purchase and sale agreement, but doing the same thing with someone at the same time. So, you know, you don't really have the confidence of knowing that, okay, you know, we just have to work through some of these, you know, issues on the big contract, but, but I've got it and no one else has it uh, because until, you know, until you sign that one larger agreement, uh, the, the property's up in the air. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And even further, with the one contract, with the two steps, you know, the agents are filling in the blanks for the the two page uh, initial contract, and we can leave things somewhat vague. For example, now in the time of COVID, we might put in subject to a mutually agreeable COVID nineteen provision and the purchase and sale, and then we kick down the can to the attorneys to write the actual legal work to build that out. But with the one step contract, you have to work out all of that stuff in the beginning. And it's on the agents to almost play lawyer for, for anything that's not standard to that form. Right, right. All the while, while they could be doing it with multiple parties and you really don't know. Um, now, that, I guess I guess the flip of that is I don't think there are as many competitive situations out west as there are here. But but when you do have one, you're, you're going to run that risk that the negotiation of the one single contract is going to give the seller an opportunity, you know, not just to, to do what we do here when we represent sellers, which is, you know, stretch themselves as far as they're willing to go and, and, then, and then choose one. There, the seller has a lot more information. You know, I know I'm negotiating with Avi, who's offering me a million dollars. So I'm going to go back to this other guy and say, look, you got to, it's got to be a, you know, a million one. And I've got someone else. So that <laughs> there's even more pressure that can be brought to bear if you have sort of a multiple bidder situation. I think one, one other thing we could, we could bring up, Avi, is, is uh, insurance contingency. Exactly. We don't have that as a separate contingency contract in our offer to purchase uh, in the Boston area or rest of Massachusetts. But in Berkshire County, uh, they do have standard in the standard purchase and sale and insurance contingency saying that if, if they're not satisfied with insurability of the property by such and such date, they can terminate the transaction, get all the deposits back. Right, right. And I guess that would come up more with, you know, here, we don't really worry about insurability. We don't have wetland. We don't have septic systems by and large. You know, mo- most of the homes around here you fit into neat little box in, in terms of insurability we don't worry about it as much and I, and I would imagine you would invoke that insurability clause more or you might waive it uh, if, if you have sort of a more cookie cutter situation where you you say okay it's a flat land there's no wetlands there's no whatever um, you might be willing to waive that so it's just one more thing um, yeah. that that is more common out there than than it is here where it's just not done yeah. So, I mean, I think really a lot of the stuff that happens between the offer and the purchase and sale here has to happen by the way of contingencies and and uh, really be spelled out and written into the purchase and sale uh, there because that is so much earlier in the process. So it's an interesting difference. Uh, there's also some just sort of standards of practice differences. So one I mentioned was that the deposits can sometimes be lower. Uh, and another is that the inspections window that you're, you're due diligence period tends to be longer here, especially because there's been such a hot market, the window shrinks and shrinks. And now I'd say sort of average is seven days from offer to the end of your inspection window. Uh, whereas in Berkshire County, it, it's been so hot with so many people from out of town 
moving to the Berkshires, uh, especially in the time of uh, COVID, they used to do like 14 days. And now, uh, you know, they're suggesting do 21 days for your inspection window. Right, right. So if you're uh, if you're looking for a promising career, maybe home inspector out uh, out west uh, is is a good one. Is a is a growth field at least for now because uh, it's a supply and demand problem. Actually, we have um, a land listing out there right now uh, in Lenox, uh, which is um, great town. Um, it, it's a four acre uh, residential lot, uh, one buildable site, and uh, the listing price is, is just under eighty thousand dollars, which is quite a good deal for four acres. And we also um, will have some some additional land up to fifty acres coming out um, sometime in the future in Pittsfield. So if you're interested, you should certainly reach out to us. Yeah. So, you know, if any of our listeners are considering uh, looking out for a vacation home or, or just moving to, to greener pastures, we, we are active, uh, not just in our, our local Brookline, JP, Cambridge, Newton kind of areas, but, but we're working out there as well. And we're happy to help you. I think that's all we have time for uh, today. So stay tuned. You know, maybe next time we'll, we'll do in adventures in renovations, the good, the bad and the very, very ugly. So uh, <laughs> we'll hope to talk to you then. 